Episode 29 told of the death of 27-year-old Scott Johnson on the 8th of December 1988. This year, after the third coronial inquest into his death, his brother Steve wrote an open letter for the Sydney Morning Herald. Tonight, I'll read out that letter. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island Special Edition. So let's get straight into it. This is Steve Johnson's full letter. 29 years ago, my younger brother Scott Johnson's life abruptly and violently came to an end at the bottom of a cliff near Manly. Less than 24 hours later, police marked the case NFA, or No Further Action. When I arrived in Australia from my home in Boston two days later, Manly police told me that Scott had jumped and they told the local newspaper there was no suspicious circumstances. It didn't make sense to my family, then or now, but we trusted the police. Years later, we learned that Sydney had been afflicted with a spate of gay-hate violence near the time of Scott's death, including several cliffside murders. I hope that New South Wales police would respond to the new evidence and take a fresh look at Scott's case. Instead, police responded with a decade-long campaign to defend their initial suicide theory and rebuff all others. On Thursday, New South Wales State Coroner Michael Barnes found that Scott Johnson, a 27-year-old gay man, fell from a clifftop as a result of actual or threatened violence by unidentified persons who attacked him because they perceived him to be homosexual. It is time to find those responsible and bring them to justice. Barnes' inquest, for which our family is extremely grateful, provided an emotional front-row seat to the breathtaking prevalence of anti-gay hatred and violence during the 1980s and early 1990s. Just as disturbing, it demonstrated the New South Wales Police Force's ongoing reluctance to investigate the deaths of gay men as possible violent crimes. The current police review of gay-hate murders, known as Operation Parabell, which does not include Scott's case, promises little hope the police intend to solve these cases and accept responsibility for past failures. There are many. At Scott's original inquest in 1989, police asserted that the place where Scott died was not a place where homosexuals do frequent and that no violence occurred there. In Scott's 2017 inquest, witnesses told a much different story. Barnes heard from gay men who used the Bluefish Point beat over a period of decades. One manly resident testified that the Bluefish Point beat was well known among locals 
and that soldiers at the artillery school atop North Head would bash gay men on their way to the bars. A gay man had been stabbed there but survived. A series of convicted gay bashers testified they would routinely prowl gay cruising areas from Narrabeen to North Sydney to puff the bash. One witness recounted visiting the Bluefish Point beat with a convicted gay basher and detailed how they would attack. Still, another witness recalled friends bragging in late 1988 about bashing an American faggot in Manly, placing the conversation on the day before Scott's body was found. Despite all this evidence, the police in their submissions to the court, still urged the coroner to accept the possibility that Scott killed himself. Police even praised their substantial and far-reaching investigations and insisted that all fruitful lines of inquiry have been exhausted. Our family remains dumbfounded by the police position a feeling we know is shared by other families and friends of gay men who have been found mysteriously dead. Why didn't police investigate then, and why do they still stonewall now? The June inquest raised uglier questions about police motives. A man who had been convicted of multiple gay bashings near Manly in the 1980s admitted that one of his arresting Manly Police officers, who was later jailed for corruption, was a guest at his wedding, held shortly after Scott died. The coroner said that the nature of the relationship between the basher and the police officer was a matter of continuing suspicion. Today, we know that Scott was killed, and the inquest renewed hope we may discover who was responsible. Courageous citizens provided testimony that assisted the coroner and brought us closer to the truth about what his honour called inhumane viciousness, perpetrated upon men solely on the basis of the victim's sexual orientation. Many people likely have more information since Puff the Bashers often brag to their mates and girlfriends as a perverse badge of honour. With more help from the public, we may yet learn who killed Scott. I am grateful to be part of the inspiring community of Australians and Americans who have brought Scott's case to light and who continue to fight for justice, even more so in light of the recent gay marriage votes. I remain hopeful that Scott and so many other gay men who died during that era may finally find peace, if not justice. At least we found some measure of that this week. So that was the letter from Stephen Johnson, Scott's brother, that was published in the Sydney Morning Herald last week. Well, as I said in the episode... It's families like this that don't give up that can really make changes to the way the justice system works. Times have changed over the past 30 years and we would want to hope 
that if such an event were to happen today, that it would be investigated properly from the start. So Islanders, as Christmas approaches, I want to wish everyone a happy Christmas and festive season. And may you all have a happy and prosperous new year. Thank you for all the support you've given the island and it is you, the listeners and fellow islanders, that keep the island going. Let's see what can be done going into the next year. So, boom fuckalunga, this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.